0: Welcome to week two of our series, Finding Hope in Every Season. If, if you missed last week, it, it probably is worth uh, popping onto our website, uh, click over to our YouTube channel, and having a look at last week's introductory message. Even if you hit the fast, you can do it every twice speed. But, but you get the idea because the slides come up and, uh, and you'll get the gist. You like that? I'm not doing it again. You play that backwards. If you play it backwards, you know what it says? Nothing. That used to be a thing in the 80s. (laughs) Wrong crowd. That's the 8am crowd for that one. We've been talking into, it used to be a thing in the 80s, back masking, you remember. Thanks, Cheryl, and uh, two of us were there. That can remember it. The the stats are, uh, interestingly, that um, approximately one in three, uh, slightly more than one in three people in Australian culture Uh, is currently experiencing a sense of hopelessness, Uh, one in four odd a sense of no purpose. Uh, And the interesting thing that came out of that is that the the current data on Christians is that it's slightly higher in the Christian community in that 40% of people don't feel hopeful, 30% have no sense of purpose. And as has been pointed out, that can sound like the Christians, (laughs) what's gone wrong there? But it it may also well point to what we hope for in that those who, who have a sense of hopelessness Come to church because this is where you find hope. So, we're hoping as as part of the funnel of discipleship that there would be a strong group of people here right now who are sensing or experiencing uh, hopelessness. If that's not you, there's a good chance that the person either side of you is uh, or soon will be. And so, this is a, and that's not the reason why I'm bringing this series, although um, uh, prayerfully I felt a a strong leading to do so um, as we look at uh, churches and discipleship and why we do what we do, if we can't bring a sense of hope, if we aren't discipling into hope, um, then we're truncating the gospel and the promises of the gospel. But I, I mentioned last week and, and perhaps a little bit flippantly that, uh, sure, we're going through turmoil in the world, but but what's new, uh, we always are. But in the sense, as I did a bit more looking into that this week, you look at the reasons for the uncertainty and the, and the angst uh, in our lives and... Um, You can see that in these days there probably is a genuinely good reason. You look at something like the development of tech over the last 20, 25 years as you see me grappling with microphones and things today and squeaks and squawks, it's not just that, it's the change in our culture that tech is now doing in the sense of, I mean, who calls for a taxi anymore? The old black and white. It's Uber now. Oh, one. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Two. I see that hand. Two of us still use taxis. That means the rest of us are quite open to this thing called Uber or, or even shared Uber cars now where you can, you can share your car with many people. That's, that's a life change. Airbnb, few people go straight to a motel's website or a resort now. We, we're looking for all these other ways of doing it to bypass the system. Working from home, remote working has considerably changed our idea of the rhythms of our week and so on. Um, smart homes that turn the air conditioning on before you get there, electric cars, I I went up to Toowoombin back the other day and I was noticing all the Teslas uh, on the road now uh, on on the Lockyer Lockyer Highway and all the heads are going like this. It's charge anxiety. They're looking for somewhere to charge their Tesla because they've gone too far. (laughs) This is is a thing now. Don't drive your Tesla more than 20 kilometres apparently. So this sort of stuff builds the anxiety in our life as if we didn't have enough already. But in the shadow of COVID, we've we've realised uh pre-COVID, post-COVID, what's changed? The fact that, that, that a prime minister or premier can get onto our TV screens and change our life in 30 seconds and say, you're not going to work tomorrow and you can't go to the store either unless you absolutely have to. That was a big shift for us. And so now there's that residual tension there. That could happen anytime. time. That's possible now. We never thought that was possible. In our community, something like that could happen. Global warning uh, doesn't seem to be going away. Fossil fuels are definitely running out. We have fires, we have floods. Um, Christianity is, is not what it was 20, 30 years ago in that sense of lifestyle Christianity. Convenient Christianity is, is not holding. When the world caught fire, many of the Christians left the building and didn't come back. The discipleship didn't hold. There was something about this idea of I, I can be a Christian and I can do anything else I like as well and I can plug A Sunday experience or a home group if I've got time for that. That that doesn't cut it anymore. Um, The church becomes an unsustainable entity that way. Occasional, you know, uh, doing it when it suits me isn't going to work for much longer. Uh, We get things like the morality of our society, uh, or even in Christian society, that which was unthinkable to change for many thousands of years Now within a 10-year scope has become up for grabs and and openly questioned and challenged to the point where uh, a clear stance on any form of morality uh, gets spoken down publicly. That's a big change for people like us. So this world has left us with very few anchors in it, very few anchors. And as Hebrews says, hope is an anchor for the soul when we hope for something. And, And hope is built on a degree of certainty. So what is certain and what is not? So things like the distress that many feel and overwhelm is a human condition. It's not a Christian condition in the sense it's just for us. It's all of humanity. Um, but Christians uniquely and you, uh, have the ability to overcome a sense of hopelessness more than anyone else. In fact, I would say in a valid sense, the only ones who can. I, um, a number of years ago, you, you, many of us will remember there just seemed to be this cascading sense where Christian leaders were falling publicly from grace, And I remember one such guy uh, who I, I hadn't really tapped into, but he, I, I saw his star was rising and he just seemed to be everywhere on social and podcasting and so on. But he fell from grace and, and uh, he'd become addicted to alcohol and he'd lost his ministry, which by that time was global, and nearly lost his family, but he, but he pulled it back together. And that was nothing new, but, but the way he articulated where it all went wrong for him, I found it somehow comforting because of of the way that he publicly and quickly repented of that. And it's one thing to get on a a microphone and camera and say, I'm just so sorry. He didn't do that. What he did was explain where it went wrong. And he said he was under incredible pressure, time-wise and emotionally and spiritually. And he began to lean on things other than Jesus. And I thought, I can relate to you. And I think we all can relate to that. Where our trust and our reliance can go to something chemical, It can go to a relationship. It can go to money. It can go to a situation. And he just realised quite openly he'd leant on that instead of under his increased pressure in life, leaning further and deeper into Jesus. And he came back and his ministry is not the same. And He never wanted it to be the same. But he's different. So in that sense, I was was impressed with with the way he processed that. But there's something about hopelessness that comes from the fact that we're not finding our foundation and we're not leaning into our hope being God Himself, But there are a few things more inspiring than the rapidity, not rep- repetition, how, how fast a Christian can turn that around by placing their hope in God himself. King David experienced it, we see in Psalm 22, which was written in one of the, 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 the deepest troughs of his life where, He'd had promises over his life. They weren't being fulfilled. He had people that he loved he'd been removed from. The person that he served was pursuing him to try and kill him. I mean, I don't know what your version of a bad day is, but he was having a bad day and it went on and on for, for I think, 14 years. But he turns it around saying, why, my soul, are you downcast? Well, I could find a few reasons, mate. Why so disturbed within me? And he turned it from being all about circumstance to being about God. Put your hope in God, speak into his own soul, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Then he goes on, as tried, it's almost like he's describing what's happened there because He stopped looking outwards and he started looking in to this God who dwelt with him. The deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. It's the only language he could find. It's like there's something so deep here and the waves and the breakers have swept over me. As he realises, I can't escape from you. Where can I go that I can flee from you? You are my foundation and it just sweeps over him and he finds peace and he finds hope in that place. He'd realised that self-help is never going to be the answer to the human condition. And at this moment in history, more than for a long, long time, we need to... Hit a reset on this, I think, and rediscover what it means to trust in God deeply because this culture that we're so used to by default has turned to technology first, government, first perhaps human reason. For, we figure this out. We're rational now, aren't we, after all? We know stuff. Science, medicine. Don't we turn to that first? Where our first turn is God. What does that mean? Because if that's our first turn, whatever else, else happens after that is far less relevant. So not all of us here are feeling helpless or hopeless today, uh, um, but those who are not, your role in this church is to encourage and comfort those who are. We may not be all hopeless, but we're all on a faith journey. We're all on on an experience and a formational pathway with God. We can choose to try and opt out of that, but the path remains. We're all on this path. And I'd like to just uh, just slot right in the middle of this message here an understanding of that path so we can see it. And then I want to come back about how how that has implications on you. But if we just put the next slide up on there, if we can. It talks about the path that we've... uh, And the way we articulate... You'll see this on posters and websites around the place with us now. This is our growth track. This is the way we articulate and describe the formational journey that we're all on. Data 50 years ago had started on how people grow in their their experience of Christianity. And because it was a a modernistic society, they used to put it in stages and say, you're you're in stage one, two, three, four... And so on, but what what the postmoderns realise is that the stark reality that we don't build in consecutive stages. Our life just doesn't go one way with a graph going, you know, to the right and up. It doesn't work like that. We have to revisit things over and over again. And as I began to research this, and I've really dived into this space as a deep dive now for about twenty odd years in ministry, and for many before that as well. And and you know, when you come, you you, you go deep into that experience and come back out of it, you realise that. Given the understanding too that these days I, I mention a term like discipleship or formation, it doesn't get everyone going, Woo! it's like, oh, that's, that feels hard. You know, it's like training for a marathon, you never get to actually run. It's like this is all pain and no gain or, or going to boot camp and never going to war. You know, it's like, are we going to have a... And, and our understanding of discipleship is an inherently sort of heavy thing. But, but the more I delve into this, I see that formation is life. Jesus called us to an abundant life, an experience of righteousness, peace and joy found in the Holy Spirit. It's a, and it's a formative journey to find that peace, to know that joy, because we're not always in it all the time. And the things that we do that we might think, oh, that sounds a bit like hard work, are nothing compared to the reward on the other side of that. But what we find is that people revisit. So I may come to faith if we start up there and I'll, and I'll, be, I'll be zooming in on faith in a moment. We, we start with faith. And that faith, as we, get, we learn to live, from God, we rely on the salvation Jesus brought us on the cross, that automatically will take us into a season of experiencing new freedom as I'm relying on Him, not relying on my own flesh to to be strong enough, to to live the Christian life, to be good enough, to earn the right to say, yeah, I'm Christian. You realise that none of us actually have that strength. It's impossible. Let the burden be lifted off your shoulders. You're no better off now than you were before you you were saved to in your own strength, Become a godly person. You couldn't do it before, you can't do it now. The only way we can do it, the distinctive is the presence of God's Spirit in your life allows you to do what you could never do in your own strength. So, as you rely on Him by faith, He gives you freedom, comes from that experience. But once you go through that formation, the green zone is a formation zone, it's where God fills your heart, replaces the old stuff puts in the new and gives you the power to live, stretches and grows you into something new. That overflows into the blue zone, which is a missional zone. It's where it overflows. You can't just be forming. You can't just be looking inside all your life because that would normally give you the freedom that has to bust out. A full heart fuels mission. That's our mantra around here. And so you, you, you naturally progress to following because now it's not about you. You're not listening to your own self, your own ambition, your own strength, your own hopelessness. Now you're speaking from, now I can hear God. He's, he's guiding me this way. He's given me grace and power to fulfil a certain task. He's got me on mission and ultimately that will overflow to fruitfulness where you become, your capacity grows, your ministry grows, your life has impact and other people start to change just because of your presence there. So we, we become fruitful with evangelism and mission and, and replicating who God's made us to be. Now, you know as well as I do that I can come to faith today. Someone can walk in here, give their heart to Jesus Christ and they, they can feel a sense of freedom. They can hear his call to share that gospel with their best friend. They can go out, share the gospel and they've been fruitful. They've just led someone else to Christ in a 24-hour period. Any of us can do that. Does that mean that we're a fully matured believer? Not, not in your life. It just means we've had an experience. We've gone through the cycle in one narrow way, in one season and we've replicated with fruitfulness who we are but there's still areas of our life that need to be redeemed and worked through and and so we find ourselves, as I become fruitful, it naturally leads me then, oh, I need to lean on God in a whole new way now because now I'm I'm doing what I can't do on my own and we lean back into a whole new experience of every season and our whole life just keeps going round and up as we go because we restart in a higher place with greater capacity, greater maturity and these seasons of life will go round. And so this... I'm hoping you'll, you'll hear that and go, yeah, I, I underst- that makes a lot more sense. It takes away the guilt from a mature Christian who says, well, I've been fruitful but there's all this other stuff in my life I haven't dealt with yet. Now I can't own up to it because I'm supposed to be mature now so I can't really go there. I can't confess to that now because I'm the one everyone looks to. You're free of that guilt. It's assumed that there are always going to be areas of our life where we need to grow and find more freedom, follow more, Receive more anointing and be more fruitful in our life. It just never ends. It's a it's a it's a whole beautiful experience that's chaos and beauty all at the same time. And so discipleship, we need to bust out of this thing that just says it's just about when you come to Jesus, I'll teach you how to read the Bible and pray. It's not that. It's becoming who Jesus would be if Jesus was you. And that journey never ends in our life. And so what we're gonna find in in uh, in our church is because I haven't been called and we haven't been called to grow a church. That's not why I get up in the morning. It's not why we came here and did this, because Jesus said he will build the church. And you can build a church and not grow disciples. And if I do that, uh, I've got a lot to answer for. But if I grow disciples, as Dallas Willard said, you'll always get a church. So what we need to do is be able to say, because it's, it's so enticing For a guy like myself or any of our staff or leaders to say, what's our target? We're successful if we fill the chairs. And so our target and our goal becomes to measure that because then we're going to aim to fulfil that. That is not the goal. The goal is that. So we need to be measuring that. We need to find ways. How many people have come to faith? How many people have received prayer ministry and found freedom? How many have gone through our our experiences that help you do that? How many are following Jesus? So I'm not even sure how we're going to fully do that. It might require the hard work of us filling out a 10-minute survey once a year that, just, that talks about anonymous, of course. You know, So, uh, so we, can, we can start to say, how are we doing at this? Because, guys, you give your hard-earned money generously and faithfully. I can't squander that on stuff that just impresses people. I've, we've got to be doing what Jesus called us to do, and he called us to make disciples. And that's a beautiful experience, but we just need to focus on that. So everything we do needs to fall into that. So at the members meeting um, in the annual report, you'll see that we're re-gearing our whole back end of the church to fulfil that mission and to find inventive ways in how to do that. And so um, this this is now being taken up statewide. We put so much work into it um, that the other churches in the state in our movement are going to use the same framework, do it their way, fill those different areas with different programs and such. And so we have a, a division of our church called Connexa. Has anyone ever heard that word Connexa? It's probably confusing. What's, what's Connexa? Think in terms of a thing called Skunkworks. if you know what Skunk Works is. No one know what Skunk Works is? Only the engineers would know what Skunk Works is. Skunk Works is a division of Lockheed Martin who make jet fighters and planes and things. Massive organisation, tens of thousands of employees. If they want to get something innovative done that solves something, that a bureaucracy could never come up with that, that all the safeguards and all the systems and all the politics and all the stuff will never allow an organisation to come up with what it needs to. They, they, they give it to the R&D division, research and development called Skunk Works. And apparently I've been told between services it's called Skunk Works because skunks, no one likes the skunks. They're a bit maverick, they're a bit smelly, they, they don't work well with humans, this sort of thing. So, so we have a Skunk Works in, in Kenmore Church. It's an R&D division called Connexa, and it's where we come up with this sort of stuff and so, for example, out of Skunk Works, out of Connexa is coming a new course next year for, or more an experience than a course, for young adults, for those coming out of youth, going into young adults, to help them navigate, how do I come out from under the wing of my parents and determine what is a Christ life for me? How do I deal with singleness and marriage? How do I approach my career? How do I have an experience of God because I've never really had that? I've grown up under my parents' faith. So we're designing an experience just for that, to come out in, in the first quarter of next year, hopefully. And that's all going to be delivered through an app. So there'll be no text, no printing. It's all, you know, content delivery, chats online, all this sort of stuff. All of us older folk will go, we could never engage in that, but that's what they need and that's how they engage with each other. So that's, that. to do that, you need a skunk works. And so we've been doing that and, um, and bless the Lord, the whole state's been um, benefiting from that. All right, I diverge. <laughs> just slightly, what does this have to do with you? Well, you may not be feeling hopeless or full of anxiety, but you are all on that journey. You're all on that journey. And as we go through these these phases, each season is actually fertile ground, even though it's God's ordained seasons for your life. They're actually fertile ground for hopelessness. If we go into a season without him, if we navigate into a new stage of life where we and we try and do it without him because the trouble with the transition from one phase to another is we've we've gotten used to life with God in the season that we're in and we've overcome and we've found faith and we've done all that really well and we're used to that but when we get into the new season you can't really preempt that too much you just find yourself in what king david ended up calling a spacious place he says he leads me into a spacious place and it's like my life was this big and i've been I've found God there and I've overcome. Now he makes your life this big. But now you need to fill that space with a new type of relationship with God, a new depth, a new reliance, a new faith that will get you through a deeper and and harder experience. You'll know from life it only ever gets more complex. It only ever gets more pressure. You go from teenage years where they're all anxious about God knows what. We say that now because we're not teenagers. When, When you're a teenager, that's a stressful experience acne, you know, dating, all that stuff. But then you become a young adult and and you've got to navigate university and career. That's a heavy responsibility. How do I make that decision? The experience that you had with God, the strength and the faith that you had before, isn't equipping you for that. It's not enough. You've got to find him in a new Then you get married. Suddenly, you don't seem to have any time to yourself anymore. There's There's... Somebody requires deservedly your attention and your energy and your heart. Then kids come along. Then you get promoted at the same time. Now I've got to buy a house that's twice the size. I'm stressed out. He's led us into a spacious place and the relationship we had with God yesterday is not going to suffice right there. So we need to grow our faith. If I was speaking in Old Testament terms, I'd be using terminology of the wilderness and the promised land. And this isn't an over-reductionist way of approaching it, but that green zone is like a wilderness. And a wilderness is not a negative thing. A wilderness is only a desert if we try to do it without God there. A wilderness, by definition, is where everything else is cut off in our life. The the normal physical means of supply are gone, but it's where God calls his people, calls us into that wilderness experience to find him in a whole new way. The blue would be uh, represented as the promised land. And you can't live in this promised land experience. We think it's great, milk and honey. Yeah, milk, honey, giants that want to kill me. You know, milk, honey, a career with lots of pressure. Milk, honey, half a million dollar debt to to buy my house. You know, you're not going to handle that if you haven't been through a wilderness that equips you to live from faith. So he takes us through a wilderness and we start that experience where God works for us and by the time we come out the other side, God works with us but we stop trying to live for God and we start living from God because it's the only way you're going to survive your promised land. These giants who want to crush you like grapes, the only way you're going to survive that is if if you've been through wilderness. And so we go through wilderness, promised land, wilderness, promised land, and that becomes the story of our life. So today we're going to look briefly now at the beginning of the green zone and I want to talk about the first segment there of faith because we start there and we keep going on through there. and that sense where... I become hopeless, I become scared, I become anxious because of fear. I'm afraid. What am I afraid of? Inadequacy. I'm not enough. If so-and-so happens, I'm going to fail, I'm going to break. If so-and-so says something, I can't cope with that. And so we, based on what we think may or may not happen, we feel a sense where I'm not going to have what it takes to get through this. And to overcome this, the season requires us to grow and then experience whole new levels of faith. We start in fear, we come out in faith. But the way we get there is an interesting journey all on its own. So we understand, of course, that faith is more than the initial awareness intellectually that we enter our walk in where we say, I believe in Jesus. Faith is not just where we start. We go from the sense of I believe in Jesus to believing on Jesus, relying on Jesus. That's faith. So faith is not just what I start with. It's, it's, it's where I finish, and it's everywhere in the middle. Romans 1:17. Uh, uh, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, the righteousness, that is by faith, from first to last. So it's all the way through, the righteous will live by faith." So this faith experience is something that grows, and we live from faith uh, the whole way through, not just start there. And this is simple enough for us to understand until we realize that our faith does need to grow. It needs to become more than it was yesterday, and we can tell that because if I ever suffer unbelief, if I if I doubt, that's a sign that my faith needs to grow. So that must reduce, and belief must grow. And it's a bit like an autumn season. Uh, if we uh, can just go back to that, um, that again, that the fruitfulness season is is like summer, where it, we're just. We're just powering on. We've overcome. If we're at school, we're the king of the kids there, you know. And then it's all going well. If I'm at university, I'm getting A's and everyone likes, I'm in the workplace, I'm the the, the rising star. Whatever it is in your life, you're you're killing it, you know. Then suddenly we have a John 15 experience where where Jesus goes, love the fruit. It's time to prune that branch because you've you've proven yourself faithful. We need more fruit. So I'm going to have to trim off in your life some things so they can grow even more. And we experience this autumn thing where we get pruned. And many of us will know that awkward, horrible feeling where we go from summer to autumn. It's like, it's cold in the room now. Everything I did before is not working for me anymore. I've been pruned. This is all the stuff that I used to do easily. Now I try with all my strength, it's just not working anymore. And he takes us into a spacious place, albeit with less branches to hang on to. And that's where faith needs to grow. So let's have a look at and... um, how that looks in our life, how it feels to go into a a pruning season. In my inbox over a monthly basis, all these sort of comments would come through from real people and to be honest myself, I've said some of these as well as I've entered this season. I've been good for ages but now I'm uncomfortable. Now I'm unsure. I don't know what's happened but it was all fine before but now I'm unsure of myself. Yesterday I was okay but now I might lose everything. Suddenly I'm in a position where all this stuff could go. Suddenly, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it through. I I doubt whether I've got what it takes. How did I get to this? Where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? Or if we can't answer that one, where did God go wrong? It's got to be someone's fault, you know. I'm out of control. Everyone or everything else seems to be controlling my life. All these external parties seem to be, what's going on? How come I'm losing control of my life? And so we come out of that feeling powerless inadequate, uh, heading for an inevitable cliff in our life. But it doesn't only manifest like that. It doesn't always come out in despair. You may find with some folks, um, depending on how they react, if this this sense of inadequacy that doesn't often have a voice, um, this sense where I can't provide for myself here, if we combine that with a lack of faith that God is enough to get me through, if those aren't coupled together instantly, what we're going to do is that fear that rises is going to result into control. So control, controlling people are always rooted in fear because they're, they're afraid they're not going to be able to make it so they, their goal becomes to control what's going on. And so I can control things. I might become angry. I might try and manipulate people around me or the circumstances, anything. I'll, I'll use anger. I'll use tears. I'll use all sorts of stuff. All I'm doing is I'm getting desperate now. I'm operating out of fear because I can't control what's going on. And often it's just this season in our life. And the last thing it feels like is a holy moment. It feels like I'm out of control. But this is often what's going on. And so our autumn exposes previously unexposed weak links in our faith. And it's not until they're put under this sort of pressure that they appear. We think, man, I was a hero yesterday. Why am I zero today? Well, you're under a different pressure now. They weren't showing up before, but now they're showing up. We may even remain calm, we may show no fear or hopelessness but we may manifest out of this controlling thing to become frenetic in what we do, you know, like over-ambitious, I've got to fix this, I I, I need more hours in the day. We'll scramble, Uh, we'll look for solutions and comfort where we normally wouldn't do it. We'll begin striving, we'll become exhausted, we'll even be willing to compromise because the the goal justifies the means and it's all just forms of self-reliance where I'm just... I've got to do more. Something's got to happen that's not happening. But inevitably, one way or the other, somehow, somewhere, you're going to hit a wall, which we do, and we hit these walls throughout our life where no matter what I do, I can't break through. I'm not enough. And it's just such a great moment. I love the wall. It feels terrible. But most walls are just, are just they're not so much a wall to go through, they're a, they're a step to get bigger to the point where you can just climb straight over the top. So how do we address this in our life? Because we'll all know this sense at some point of anxiety, fear, hopelessness or whatever. So there's no single silver bullet, and and, uh, preachers like me would just love to say, just do this, just pray that. There's there's elements of that, but true formation, substantive discipleship says God has a way of taking us through this stuff. So let me go through them. There are four primary elements at every season, and and each week when we go through this, I want to emphasise one or the other, but it'll be four elements. The first one is the spirit. Our first stop, first stop, is God's presence within us. Normally, because of the, we're in a summer period, it'll be the last thing we go to because we're, we're used to doing a program fix in our life and just get working harder or something. Our first port of call is to rely more deeply on God's Spirit. But if we've been motoring along in life, we've normally lost the, the edge of that deep, deep uh, waterfall flowing experience that David talks about. So our first thing is to seek God's spirit, seek his presence in our life and ask him to show us what we're relying on instead of him. And I found that's probably the fastest response you'll get from God is a question like that. Lord, what am I relying on that's not you? And he'll show you a way quick smart because his goal is for you to rely on him. He'll get back to you in the way that he knows how to speak to you on what you might be doing. You can do that right now. Lord, is there something I'm relying on that's not you? Just listen to the answer for that. Ask him to give who he is. See, the Holy Spirit is the comforter. The Holy Spirit is the encourager. The the parakletos is the Greek word. It offers up all these, these facets of who the Spirit is in our life. So if I'm feeling discomforted, I press into the comforter. If I'm lacking courage, I go to the encourager. So we, we, we're seeking a deeper experience of this God within. But we can't stay there. If, if all else in, in life is gone, uh, and, and that's a good one and only card if we're going to try and pull it, but he does give us more. He's given us more in our life. So to partner with what God's doing, if I'm thinking in a way that the spirit doesn't think, if, I'm, if my mind and my attitude is contrary to the way God thinks and his attitudes, I'll be working against his work. So the next part of this is to actually change what I believe and my attitude. So now we're not talking about self-help here because we've proven self-help doesn't work. But, but the way I choose to think and have an attitude makes a room for God to give me what I can't give of myself. It's not my strength I'm trying to tap into here. It's his strength, and I can do that better if I have the same attitude as Jesus Christ, as Paul says in Philippians. So there are certain beliefs and attitudes such as those that are given there. So if I was coming into that faith season for the first time, of course, the first thing I deal with is the fact that I'm not God, He is. Jesus is Lord and I hand my life over to Him. That's a salvation experience. But I keep coming back to that and there's something about that three words, Jesus is Lord, that is the basis of my faith experience at, at every growing level of that. He is Lord, He's God, I'm not. He sets the rules for life, I don't. He is the source of life, I'm not. Jesus is Lord. And that flows instantly onto the second to say that God is sufficient. Because he is Lord, he is also sufficient. 2 Peter 1.3, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And when you're feeling like you can't control life, when you're feeling like you're inadequate, bang, straight back to 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has given me everything that I need for a life of godliness, everything I need. If I align my thoughts with that, I'm like creating a vessel for him to pour that grace into my life. So there's the spirit and experience of the spirit himself. There's my beliefs and attitudes which make room for that. The next one is the great thing of relationships. He's not designed us. We are the body of Christ together. We're not supposed to be an island, but that changes shape as we go through these seasons. There are different types of relationships that we need to foster. As I'm coming into a faith experience where, where God's growing faith, there's something about this setting, church, where we all gather together. This is why we, or one of the reasons why we, we keep doing it, because even though as I as I go to other seasons, this gathering's more of a gathering where I input than output, as we're growing faith, we need the lives of other people, just their presence, their words, their hope, their encouragement, the songs that we sing that that remind us that God is good, that God is able, and then the thankfulness that comes from that can change our life. So we find in those autumn seasons, I need to be at church. It's not the time to slacken off and go, I'm feeling bad about myself now. I haven't got time for that stuff. That's when you most need a church experience. The synergy of faith, that one plus one equals five, when we all come together and the Spirit works in us and does here, what's impossible anywhere else for whatever reason. So relationship. The next one in there is to have a discipler, a mentor. So there are just seasons where I need to be developed because I'm at a place now where I've never been before. I need someone who's gone before me who can help me for a moment just to get through this. So it might be in my first stage of faith, might be someone who teaches me the basics about prayer and Bible. But after that, it's someone who's been through this harrowing experience of a pruning, you know, how do I get through this? How do I lean? And so we need a mentor through that stage. So there are spirits, uh, the spirit, sorry, belief and attitudes, There are key relationships and then finally practices. There are things that we alone can do. No one can do these for you. Uh, We are responsible for our own actions and what we do, but our actions work together with the relationships, beliefs and God's spirit to make room for God. So when I say stop there, I'm not saying stop. Well, actually, I'm saying stop. But I'm not saying stop doing stuff. I'm just saying throughout your day, you need to have a moment where you just turn off the engines of frenetic thought, of, of out-of-control thinking, of fear and anxiety, and you just stop. I do that right here. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll, if you come in here at midday or just up, you'll find me in here on my own. I'm stopping, and I just need to defrag, decompress, reset something because there's just so much going on. I need to hear from God. I need, to, I need to be in His presence, and sometimes we need to be just alone to do that. So we just need to stop. And lean in and reconnect with God. Because even when we're doing good work and God's work, uh, we need to sometimes disengage from that so we can be just with Him. But when we stop, we remember. We take that time, if my faith is failing, I remember what He's done in my life. I remember the, the, the long highlight reel of testimony that comes in our life. If I can't remember anything that He's done in my life, it happens to all of us, I think of someone else and what God's done in their life. Just to remind myself, the testimony in Revelation, it says that the the spirit of prophecy, that the testimony of God, I beg your pardon, is the spirit of prophecy. So the, the testimony of what God's done sets us up for him to do it again. It sort of speaks into what's coming. So I remember. And when I remember, I can't help but give thanks. And there's so much about this principle of giving thanks. It's the gateway into hope. Hosea 2 says he takes the valley of Achor, Achor means trouble, that wilderness experience where we think it's all going wrong for me. He takes this valley and he turns it into a door of hope and he does it through thankfulness where we stop reminding God of what he hasn't done or what we want him to do and we thank him for who he is. We thank him for the testimony. There's something that reorders our soul. Now why so downcast on my soul? Put your trust in God. It's a process where we have to stop we remember and we give thanks. You are always good. You've never let me down. You've never given me reason to doubt. And I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your nature. I thank you for your love. I thank you for saving me. All the good things, the most important things I've already got. I have every spiritual blessing in Christ. I get to spend eternity with God and His people. I'll always have purpose. There's no end to the list of things that we can be thankful for in our life. Philippians 4, Paul says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer petition, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving, present your requests." So the requests come from the platform of thanksgiving. We do that and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. So the pathway to peace is quite often found through prayer and thanksgiving. There's just something about resetting our soul to remember the goodness of God, which changes us. It sets us free. It's a doorway to breakthrough. When our our focus becomes the goodness of God, all the other stuff fades away and our hope is anchored and it's anchored in who God is, not how things are going. So your challenges and mine are very, very real. They're probably not going away anytime soon and the goal of God in our life is not for them to go away anytime soon. They may, but for us to get bigger than those problems and just walk over the top of them. He is our greater reality. Our problems are real. His reality is greater. He's given us everything we need. Jesus came to save the lost, but he also came to give you and I comfort so we wouldn't be hopeless. Have a listen to Isaiah 61 that prophesied this very thing. God, he has sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted. Let the Lord bind up your broken heart, wrap it back up in his own arms to proclaim freedom for the captives, Release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Sometimes we just got to put that garment on. I'm just going to praise. I don't feel happy, so I'll pray till I am happy because the thing that my happiness is based on is what's real and what's never going to change and I can, I can, as an anchor for the soul, anchor it in the truth of who God is and drag myself towards that because that garment of praise helps me break through. This week the intercessors have been praying and, uh, and they don't often send me stuff through to remind me but, but it was just in all, all the feedback was saying that there's, the evil one has been coming against so much of what we're doing here because God is at work, of course, Evil one's gonna to want to trip that up. But there's a sense of despair setting on so many people. They break that thing. We've got no use for that. They've got no use for that. We can break off what anything that the evil one wants to bring and just put on a garment of praise, and together we can break through, and we will break through. Nothing's gonna get in the way of God's work and his plan. But he'll try and trip you up. We've had every technical difficulty you can imagine today. We've had everything come against us all week because this message matters let's stand together as a, as a worship team come